our next guest, enlisted in the United States Marine Corps at the not-so-tender age of 25. I'd really like to share my story because I'm a sergeant of Marines, and I'm very proud to be a Marine, but I do not speak for the Marines. I speak for myself. So let's go talk. Okay. I remember how much 9-11 infected me. And in my mind, my country was at war, and being a fighting age male, I was obligated to go and serve my country. And I recruited myself. I walked in there. I said, I'm going to be a Marine. Send me as soon as possible. I guess it's interesting coming from a mother that does midwifery and brings life into this world. You know, she's against violence. She's against war. What was it like for you when he told you that he'd enlisted in the Marine Corps? He didn't want to tell me, I'm certain, because I'd been out there trying to keep the war from even starting. My norm was to put everything military into the same box and shove it in the closet in the far back corner and just go, well, that doesn't pertain to me because I don't do war. Guess what? As soon as my son enlisted, I suddenly discovered that every single person in the military is a human being and someone else's loved one. I was in a particularly uh, bad area of Iraq. We got attacked a lot. We did a lot of uh, counterinsurgency operations and, you know, picked up a lot of high-value targets, and we saw a lot of action. There is no possible way that you can actually have a real inkling of what it's going to feel like the first time you get shot at. When you're with a grunt unit, every single day you have to prepare yourself to leave that wire and to leave your life behind. I mean, I remember on my mother's birthday, we were keying up for a particular operation. And uh, they were like, hey, you you guys might want to call your family before we go out tonight. This is going to be a crazy one. So I remember having to call and try to wish my mom a happy birthday. But in the back of my mind being like, is this going to be the last time I talk to her? You know, like that could have been his farewell call because he was heading out to do some big bad stuff that day. And well, mom, (laughs) this might be it. There's never really a safe moment at war because at any time you could be walking out to a portage on and then bam flash there it goes every day before i'd go outside the wire where it's smoking joking you know getting ready getting briefed i get a hard time about this when i tell people about it but uh, i'd always sing a song in my head and it would get me like pumped up it was a phil collins song in the air tonight you know like is it coming tonight is it coming in the air tonight can you hear it you know can you smell it are you ready and then all right let's go do this could just be kicking in some doors and searching houses or a lot of times we'd go out at night and snatch people in the middle of the night, people that uh, needed to get interrogated. You know, I believed in the cause at the time. You know, I really believed in what we were over there for and that there was going to be these weapons of mass destruction and that, you know, we were rooting out all evil. Can I ask you how many friends you lost? I've lost quite a few. I'll say that. Okay, but you told me a cool story where people would be rolling through civilians' gardens. Right. I would notice that sometimes these Marines, be it that, you know, we had just gotten in a firefight or what have you, they would start walking through these gardens. Vegetable gardens. Right, it's their vegetable gardens, and these people are very poor. You know, they have all this oil money, but it doesn't go to the people. 
And so I felt really strongly that instead of taking away that father's way to feed his family, that it was really important that we went around these gardens and that we respected their land. I know if somebody walked through my mother's garden, I would have a big problem with it and maybe become a combatant if I had not been one before. So, What was it like for you when you got back? The first thing that I remember from returning from it is that we flew through uh, Bangor, Maine. There was this group of veterans, and uh, it was like 3.30 in the morning, and they had taken their time and lined the halls. And when we got off the plane, they were clapping. This, like, feeling just totally overwhelmed me. You know, you get the goosebumps, and uh, Marines don't cry. We don't really show a lot of emotion unless we're really angry. And that was the first time I just had to fight back tears, really taken by it, you know. We have this look in our eye, only a look that another combat veteran would probably recognize. And these people recognized it, and they were shaking our hands, and felt really good. Unfortunately, uh, the rest of society just wasn't like that for me. It was a very challenging experience. From a young age, you come up with these core beliefs and values. The main one that rings true for almost every human being, every sane human being, is thou shalt not kill. And war isn't easy. I mean, sometimes you have a split decision to say this person lives or dies. And sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're wrong but you have to live with those when you get back. A girl that I had gone to high school with flippantly told me that she thought I was a, uh, a baby killer. And I don't think she was old enough or mature enough to really understand the implications, but that's something that's really stuck with me. I went to the uh, local grocery store with my mother and we went to purchase some wine and uh, they asked me for my ID and I handed them my active duty military ID. The lady looked at it and then threw it at me, hit me in the chest and said, we don't take that here. And uh, I guess the only thing more ferocious than a Marine is a Marine mom because I had to drag her out of there before she did something bad. It's heartbreaking. They went and did what their commander in chief asked them to do over and over and over and over and over again. Sadly, my son had friends here in town say, so does that mean you're a confirmed killer now? And uh, it's comparable to what the Vietnam vets went through, I'm pretty sure. It's hard. It's hard. It's like, yeah, you can sit home and play your video games, and I'll go take care of making sure that you still can play those video games. No problem. Yeah. Got it. Coming back, I mean, we had to worry about who was going to persecute us and how we judged ourselves. Well, yeah, we're warriors, but we have hearts, and we want to love and things of that nature, so... You're going to sit here and tell me that I messed up? Till you walk a mile on my boots, I don't think you have that right. So with the PTSD, when did you first start having symptoms? As soon as I got back home, I pretty much knew right then that something just was different. Something kind of didn't click. You can't expect any of them to be the same. Right. How can you go into the underworld, basically into hell, and return the same? Nobody can. Sorry, doesn't work that way. I decided to go to San Diego to visit my uncle. To get there, I got on the train, and I looked out the window to my left, and I saw this crowd of people and two men running through the crowd with machine guns, shoving people down. And then I saw three police officers running after them with pistols. My instant war mode kicked back in and shouted for everybody to get down in my train. Get down! Get down! There's quite a good possibility that the bullets could penetrate through the train. I tried to kick open the doors and find a way to get out. I didn't really get that far. I was apprehended by the uh, gentleman that checks tickets. He 
pushed me up against the wall, but I'm frantically trying to convince this guy that, look, I'm a United States Marine, you need to let me off this train. Some people are probably gonna die over there. Eventually, he uh, calmed me down and informed me that they were shooting a movie on the uh, train track right next to me. And uh, he was on the radio, you know, calling for backup. My heart was still beating at like 1,000 beats a minute. For me, it was very real, and it really took me back to a real place. And so eventually, I talked my way out of it, explained to him I didn't see any signs that said that there was a movie. You know, I was not a threat or danger. Here I am trying to do this honorable thing and go help these people. And uh, I'm ending up in handcuffs, and they're talking about not letting me ride the train. And uh, I had to make it to the beverage cart so that I could drink a beer and try to calm myself down because my adrenaline's flowing. So for me, being in Iraq where you have all these people that blend in, but they could possibly be a combatant, it was really the same thing for me. But now they're looking at me like I'm absolutely absurd. I kind of made this sheepish look at everybody, whispering to each other. Darton looks over at me, kind of waved and said, sorry, I just got back from Iraq. And the train was completely packed, but nobody wanted to sit next to me, you know. So it was a very embarrassing moment that, you know, I hadn't exercised the right judgment somehow. Or Did anybody recognize that you had good intentions and thank you? Absolutely not. I was completely ostracized from that moment. This is when I really started going inward and, you know, not wanting to be out in the public eye. I don't know if you can talk about this or not, but they put you through something called a D-Warrior training. We had a psychologist come and talk to us. She said that, you know, if you go see somebody, go see somebody out in town so you're not going to see it in your record book. You know, it's concerning that you may lose your security clearance. If you say that you're suffering from these psychological issues. Exactly. And uh, I think that that person probably, you know, did me a big disservice by uh, saying those things to me. But on the inside, I'm like, you know, really, I need some help here, guys. I'm, I'm struggling. They uh, tried me on some antidepressants, and I started having suicidal thoughts. And one night, it actually chambered around, and I was, uh, you know, really contemplating killing myself just because I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Really, I don't want to die. I do, I do want to live. Fortunately, I took a uh, two-week class with other veterans. You know, all these other Marines were experiencing the exact same symptoms that I was. And then they would bring in these therapy dogs for veterans with uh, PTSD. Lexi! There she is. Now remember what happened last time. She barfed puppy milk on you. (laughs) That doesn't bother me. So are these therapy dogs in the sense of how someone who was blind would have a therapy dog? They are certified in that way. You want her to heal on the left side? Right side. For myself, since I uh, experience a lot of bad dreams and, you know, I wake up sweating and this kind of thing, my dog will be trained to be able to wake me up out of it. It's really sweet. I know, you see these great big guys with these little tiny dogs. But they grow up, and it's a lifetime bond. When I play with this dog, it actually makes me feel better. That's all I'm thinking about. It's helping. Absolutely. They don't judge you. If you look like you're zoning out into some world, they'll come over and nudge you and say, hey, you know, snap out of it, and uh, find that that really helps. As long as she's licking, it's a kiss. I can play with Lucky forever. big thank you to Rita Daniels for bringing Chance's story to SNAP. We're going to have a link on our site to people and pets assisting wounded warriors.
You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.